These are the dialogues of a peculiar character. My name is Thomas Gideon. Join me in my journey planning and opening a craft brewery through conversations with the amazing and curious people helping me along the way and who already work in an industry I'm hoping to join. I look forward to sharing with you the fascinating stories about how and where beer is made and served, including one day soon when that will be my very own brewery. Early on when I was debating with myself about opening a brewery, one of the things that I felt would be essential is some form of training. I'm very fortunate that some of my good friends who work in the industry very candidly shared with me that there is a considerable gap between what we do as home brewers and what it is that brewers do in a commercial setting as part of an involved manufacturing process. I spent a fair amount of time considering my options and really fortuitously came across a program that I ultimately pursued through my network. As part of building the business plan, I went to a conference in the fall of last year and took a two-day boot camp. Before I went, talking to a local brewery owner and brewer, Tony Prebula, who you've heard repeatedly on this podcast, it turns out that he realized and recognized the speaker for the boot camp at NanoCon was, in fact, the lead instructor and the owner of the American Brewers Guild. Then commenced a good conversation where not only did my respect and appreciation for Tony's experience, skill, and craft deepen, but also recognizing that here was a key resource, one who quite some time later, when I got very serious about opening my own brewery, realized that the program that he ran was really the right one for me, both as evidenced by the alums I had already met and the experience that I had in that boot camp. Hopefully, you'll get a sense of just what it is that he brings to the industry as a whole through his particular approach to instruction, as well as the more than 30 years of not inconsiderable experience that he has brewing himself. I'm joined remotely by Steve Parks, the owner and lead instructor of the American Brewers Guild, to learn more about his career in brewing and specifically the history of the guild and how it supports the rest of the industry. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Happy to be here. What is it about beer, first of all, that specifically called you to chase it? That's a very good question. Um, that's all I've ever done. Um, I was in the, uh, the library in uh, high school in Scotland, um, you know, looking at potential uh, colleges after school and uh, came across Harriet Watt University in Edinburgh that had an undergraduate degree in brewing. Um, I always uh, had studied the sciences in high school, physics, chemistry, biology, but also was intrigued by the uh, sort of uh, the artistic side of life and felt at the time that, um, that an opportunity to combine the two, um, the two features would, uh, would be uh, something worth pursuing. So um, 
the degree is heavily science-based and does prepare one for a job with a large brewery, ultimately. Um, I soon realized after interviewing with, uh, with a couple of the larger breweries in the UK that they weren't particularly interested in my ability to be creative and to brew beers. Um, um, it was how to operate machines and work with the trade unions that were they were most interested in. Um, I realized that working on for a really small brewery where I'd get exposed to every aspect of, uh, of beer production was, uh, was the way to go. And, um, I've never really done anything else. Um, I'm not sure what my current skill set would qualify me to do, honestly. Um, uh, but, um, certainly, uh, Certainly, uh, learning about beer has always intrigued me and has always uh, um, driven me to, uh, to uh, perfect the art, as it were, if you possibly can. And um, passionate about the, the beverage itself has, uh, has always sort of guided my, uh, my uh, thinking throughout my career. So I've been very lucky, consider myself to have been very lucky, right place at the right time, working with the right people. Um, but at the same time, it's been 30 over 30 years now of brewing and uh and i think i'm just about getting the hang of it now you did a three-year program at harriet watt and then and then what where did you start you talked about that difference between the large brewery in the uk and the smaller breweries in the uk yeah right at the right out of school um a job opened up um a uh consultant who'd been working uh, for large breweries in, in Africa. He was a British fellow and he'd be working, uh, James Johnson, his name is, and he'd been working with, uh, a, 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 well, a large brewing company in, uh, in Africa. Um, but in, before that, he had, uh, he'd come home and started his, uh, his own little sort of uh, dream craft brewery in his own, uh, in his own, um, in a building on his property. And, um, I think the, uh, financially it was, um, a bit more than he anticipated uh, getting the brewery running. And so he went back to working as a consultant uh, for a year to save up some more money um, to run his little brewery uh, more successfully. Um, in the meantime, uh, he needed somebody to run it. And so he gave me the opportunity right out of school uh, to go right into at the, at the, uh, at the deep end of uh, running a brewery, brewing, selling, delivering, um, doing every single thing, driving the pickup truck with the kegs in the back and, uh, and you know, brewing one day a week, filling another day a week, and then delivering and selling the other days. It was, uh, it was, a, it was a great opportunity to really get an all-encompassing overview right out of the gate. It was, uh, it was um, an opportunity, I think, I, um, and that served me well in the future. Certainly uh, taught me uh, um, problem-solving um, and, uh, and independence. Um, also relying on um, experts in the field. There was this network of friends of his who have been brewers for decades that were all willing to help and, and uh, stop by to give me advice and to uh, hold my hand through some of the trickier problems that I encountered early on. And, uh, and kind of um, impressing upon me the, uh, the value of, uh, of mentorship and of, uh, and of helping the next generation of brewers that are coming along later to, to uh, to understand what they're doing and to and to work towards uh, um, keeping standards high, something that I uh, have kind of, kind of currently currently embody, but also have always done, um, but now have an more of an ability to influence directly through the American Brewers Guild, um, teaching brewers how to do things the right way. The inspiration and the passion and the drive and the ideas all need to come from the individuals themselves, but the tools that they need to 
manifest those in reality in terms of beers they make. That's uh, that's uh, that's my job. How do you go from that first job in Britain to the U.S. to ultimately the sequence of steps that leads to your involvement and eventual ownership and leadership of the American Brewers Guild? The one again, it's a series of uh, of uh, jobs. So after a year, he came back from Africa, and uh, I was looking for a new job. I found uh, an opportunity at a brewery called um, Tisbury Brewery in Wiltshire, um, and uh, and again, again, in at the deep end, a fairly large, much larger brewery with more staff, um, but um, nonetheless, still kind of very hands on, still building a brewery, um, used dairy equipment mostly. And uh, and that was again a, an improvised my way around a bunch of problems um, scenario and uh, and uh, got uh, got some uh, some recognition. We won some medals at a beer competition where I met uh, through another brewer, another friend of mine uh, in the industry, uh, a young uh, British fella who was uh, planning um, a microbrewery at the time, um, the British Brewing Company. And um, that was going to be in Glen Burnie, which is a suburb of Baltimore in Maryland. And um, so I met him, we talked, and um, the idea of me coming over to the States to help him get the brewery up and running uh, was broached. And I sort of, yeah, why not? Why not? It's uh, it's a, a, great, um, a great opportunity, first of all, and for adventure and something different. But at the same time, um, it worked with the skills that I had. Um, independence, uh, ability to build things out of other things, and, uh, and, a, and a, a mechanical aptitude as well, brought about by mending breweries. Um, so um, I, was, I was obviously trepidatious about relocating to another country, but at the same time, you know, excited about the opportunity. 1988 this was, so there weren't very many breweries in, uh, in North America back then, and certainly not very many in the uh, microbrewery realm. The east, eastern part of the country was, uh, you know, had um, Geary's in Maine and Manhattan Brewing Company in New York. Um, there was one in Albany. Uh, Stouts were around then. There was um, um, the Weeping Radish in North Carolina and Virginia Beach had Ch- Ches Bay Brewing. Um, but uh, that was pretty much it for, for, the, uh, for the East Coast at the time. And uh, so we joined the throng and uh, with the British Brewing Company, made one beer called Oxford Class, uh, put class in your glass. And um, we called it, instead of the King of Beers, we were the Prince of Ales <laughs> and, uh, and had fun with it. Um, we found a great deal of success in the bars of Baltimore, DC and Annapolis, a big market at the time. Uh, a lot of expat Brits um, uh, who appreciate and understood what we were trying to do with the British beer. And um, we uh, we were pioneers. Um, we uh, paved the way for a lot a lot of the breweries that came along afterwards. Um, it didn't really particularly. I mean, it was it made it, but sort only sort of. Um, we ran into difficulties when we started packaging, as a lot of breweries do. And um, and uh, I moved on eventually to a new opportunity out in California. Um, went uh, to Humboldt Brewery in Arcata. Um, that was a small brew pub um, owned and operated by um, uh, an American football player. Uh, he had a Super Bowl ring. He'd, uh, his name was Mario Salotto. And uh, he had uh, started this little brewery and um, was successful enough to need to expand it. Um, brought me in with my experience of 
building breweries and starting up breweries to expand his operation um, into a manufacturing plant um, attached to the pub. Um, five years of brewing our famous beer, Red Nectar, and uh, and uh, we became um, sort of 20,000 barrel a year brewery brewing one style of beer in one state. So that was a much of a success story right there. From there, um, we, um, one, one, um, one, I'm trying to remember the time of year, one summer, uh, we were approached by a brewing school that had just started up in Davis in California. Um, that had been started by um, Dr. Michael Lewis, who had retired from um, uh, Davis, um, UC Davis, where he'd run the brewing programs, uh, to start a, a, a brewing school, private brewing school that offered Freed of the um, of the restrictions that a that a university would put on uh, practical uh, education, um, he envisaged, I imagine, a brewing school that has much more of a practical bent, a vocational uh, program that had the theory, but also allowed for working apprenticeships as part of the education uh, with a couple of his business partners. We at Humboldt Brewery received two students from his class to do their apprenticeships with us. Um, they worked with us for five weeks and then went back to school to report back what they'd found. And um, they reported back that not only was Humboldt Brewery doing things the right way, they were doing things the way Michael Lewis said they should be done and, uh, and, um, and uh, reinforced the education um, that they were getting in the classroom with the practical hands-on uh, at a brewery that was doing things the right way. Um, the school then learned of this and approached me to see if I was interested in becoming involved as a, as a guest lecturer, which I jumped up a chance. And then through some business changes at the school, Michael Lewis ended up leaving and going back to the university. Uh, I was offered the job of a full-time brewing instructor at the American Brewers Guild. Um, with a couple of other uh, instructors, David Sahigian and Will Kemper, we ran the education programs for a couple of years, while at the same time developing a distance learning program. The distance learning program uh, cannibalized the attendees of the residential program to such a degree that the school was then no longer necessary as a bricks and mortar um, um, operation. And the owners, uh, the remaining owners, were looking for somebody to sell it to. Uh, so in 1999, uh, my wife and I purchased the American Brewers Guild from the original owners and have run it, run it ever since. We relocated the school to Vermont in 2003. Um, I was able to uh, continue to kind of do side work um, with breweries. So I was working with Wallover's Organic Beer and they purchased Otter Creek Brewery in Vermont in 2002. So in 2003, we moved to, moved to Vermont um, just because it's a wonderful place for our kids to grow up and uh, a wonderful place to live. And we've been here ever since. Why Middlebury in particular? Not that I, I object having spent a week there, but uh, you know, it, it's close to Burlington, but it's not that close to Burlington. It is a small town. Is, was there some particular rationale for for that spot versus somewhere else in Vermont? Yeah, I moved there because I was going. It was intending to work at Otter Creek, um, and uh, so I needed to be close by to there. Um, and then, but that's why, as to why we started our um, our brewing company, Drop In Brewing, um, which runs alongside the American Brewers Guild School and offers a bricks and mortar facility once again to host classes. Um, 
that was um, that was um, again quality of life of living in Middlebury. Our roots were there. Our people that we knew were here. Um, our children are still in school and here in this part of the world, and uh, it was. Um, it's a great place to live. Uh, as far as brewing's concerned, um, Otter Creek was um, uh, fairly successful because the the water quality is so good coming out of the ground. It's um, it requires very little in the way of treatment. Uh, makes great beer, and um, we're also, um, I mean, located in the middle of the state. There's a few things. We once had a this interesting story. I once had a uh, a geography class uh, come through the school from local college, and uh, or Middlebury College actually, and um, they, you know, they'd always been primed as to what questions to ask and why would a business locate in a particular part of the part of the world, and uh, you know, they were asking questions about that, the water quality, um, ease of uh, of shipping of product out, um, you know, road infrastructure for getting ingredients in. Um, uh, economic questions about the local economic climate and trained employees being available locally, all the usual uh, geography class questions. And I said, well, actually, really, the main reason why the brewery is here is because I live here. And uh, <laughs> that's that's often the main reason why a brewery ends up where a brewery is, um, purely because that's where you have to live when you open it. And yet, during the breaks and in the evenings uh, after uh, classes during my residential week, Notice that you still have uh, seem to have a decent patronage there, like a lot of regulars that clearly have affection for your tap room and for your beers. It's important, um, I think, um, to, when you're running a tap room uh, to have that, to have um, uh, a loyal local following, um, good, reasonable prices. Um, with the sandwich shop that we operate or sublet to next door, uh, having both options, having food and drink options, doing beer to go, hoping to catch people um, after work uh, on their way home, stopping by to get some food and then to get some beer to go is ideal. Um, we never intended really to run a pub. It's something that I kind of always wanted to avoid being tied to a space like that, serving alcohol all the time and, uh, and being the, the jolly landlord and, uh, and, um, and, uh, and just that whole pub life thing uh, that can dominate everything you do and take up all of your time and be your routine um, was always something that I kind of wanted to avoid if possible. But having a tap room means you have to be involved in, in that's really what you are. Um, you, you, your emphasis may be on sampling and on education and uh, teaching people about the possibilities of beer. And I think the more successful tap rooms do run that way um, rather than just you know, um, serving as much beer as you possibly can to thirsty consumers. But I, so I think that's, that's, that's why um, breweries have them. Uh, but at the same time, um, it can be a place for for social gathering, it can be a place for conversation. We don't have televisions, so it's, we've got to talk to each other. Um, and uh, and um, yeah, you can you can you can use it for education purposes, but also for entertainment. And I think it's uh, I think it's important that tap rooms strive to become a, a combination of both. You can be too cold and calculating. I've been to breweries where their tasting room has a has a, a maze um, laid out with um, with tape. The, they, they expect uh, the customers to stand in line, walk their way through the maze, get to the front, tell them what they want, and then 
and then leave uh, with it um, cold and uh, clinical. I've been to other places where the place is just like a pub, where the bartenders aren't interested in telling you anything about the beer. They just want to serve you and go back to their phone. Um, to, be a, to be somewhere in the middle where, where um, you can learn about what you're, what you're sampling and uh, receive an education as well all the time you're there. I think that's, uh, I think that's critical. Is there a component of it too, going back to what you said about e- even the, the early days and the early focus of, of the guild, is there a benefit when you have that practical hands-on focus to not only be doing the theoretics and the work in, in the brewery, but also to be able to speak to that experience? Uh, clearly, you speak to that sort of uh, that tension uh, between the you know, two extremes of a taproom model as one example. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think um, brewers, commercial, professional brewers, um, the, historically, uh, you, we may think of our role as just, well, we just make the beer. Um, the more successful among us also are ambassadors for beer. Um, we talk to people about it. We can educate and train people about it. We don't have to disparage other people's beers. In fact, that's best if we don't, nor do we have to disparage com- competing products, I mean, which is currently a... Uh, a topic that, uh, that I don't know if you're going to cover with anybody about hard seltzers and uh, and uh, alcoholic kombuchas and the and the new beverages that are coming along to to threaten craft beer s- sales and growth and progress. Um, but uh, but addressing those and being knowledgeable about those and what they are and what they mean and what um, and the type of people they appeal to, I think is important. Just having a having a, a lack of a knee jerk reaction to those, but at the same time. Um, 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 promoting and prophesizing about what craft beer is and, and uh, being accepting of what everybody else is doing. Um, fruit beers and pastry stouts and sours and lactose and all those new, new things that are challenging the, uh, the, the, the preconceived ideas about, about, what, about not just what beer is, but what beer can be. I think is uh, is uh, an, it's a really interesting time, and brewers who are open minded about all of that are going to be great. It's okay to say I only drink beer that tastes like beer, but at least acknowledge that there are a lot of people out there that think differently, that are interested in other things, and it's your opportunity to get in front of them and talk about it. So it's your I mean, it's the job of a brewer now to to be industry positive, to support other brewers around. And, uh, and to pre- present this sort of united front in favor of craft beer uh, without disparaging others. It's, it's a fine line, but um, those that do it well do it really well. I think that also uh, really helps fill in some context around um, one of the later, if not last units in the, in the course, in the distance learning course, in terms of your thoughts on, on style, that it's not especially prescriptive, that all of the technical material isn't focused on this style or that style. There's uh, you have a very thoughtful opinion in general about how do you kind of encourage students towards thinking about style? I think you said a, a large part of it. Uh, but I was really impressed in taking the course and and reading the the message that you appended to that and uh, the lecture in particular on on style that you offer. Yeah, um, you've got to have styles if you want to have competitions. Um, otherwise, you know, it's all about what the person enjoys the most. You know, you're judging somebody's ability as a brewer to recreate a classic style. It's, um, it's just, 
that's just the way it is. Um, but that doesn't, that, as we know, medals don't equal sales. So people interested in different flavors and different, uh, different ways of making beer um, it just draws attention to what we're doing and creates a buzz around what we're doing. Um, and I think that is, uh, is the way it needs to be. Um, having said that, I think as a test of one's skill and prowess as a brewer, um, one ought to be able to nail the classics. <laughs> uh, Garrett Oliver talks about it in the other lecture that, that you, um, from that class on food. And um, one of the things that, uh, that you know, he mentions is that there's, okay, there's a hollandaise sauce. It's a, it's a thing. Every chef should know how to make it and every chef should make it. It should, I mean, you can have your own spin on it perhaps later, but you should be able to nail a basic one. Um, and there are certain basic things that brewers should know, know how to do. And one of my, one of my, uh, um, I find myself talking about this a little more often is that brewers that start up their little, their, their, their own, their own facilities based on their home brewing experience, um, and come right out of the gate with uh, a hazy double IPA and a sour and a fruit flavored lactose infused um, um, blueberry um, IPA, uh, fruit uh, um, milkshake IPA. Um, and okay, that's great, but can you make a pale ale that doesn't, you know, that tastes good? Can you make a pilsner? And um, often I find, and I found this uh, fairly recently, uh, a brewery that's famous for its hazy murkies has ventured out and has gone into making a, a Pilsner and it was a disaster. Um, the bit, the Pilsner I tasted bore no resemblance to anything anybody else would consider a Pilsner who's never tasted one. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, it does show uh, the, the, uh, the danger, I suppose, or the risk of just specializing, getting pigeonholed into making one style. Um, and surely as a brewer, you want to showcase your abilities and skills across a range of styles. And um, well, maybe not, but that's just me. But uh, but uh, I would think that showcasing your abilities across a range of different brewing styles and nailing different styles um, uh, to not just your own satisfaction. Well, you're brewing for yourself as well, but to your maybe to a judge, maybe to a beer judge. Yeah, you've really nailed this Vienna Lager. This is exactly what a Vienna Lager should taste like. Is a is a um, I think uh, what brewers I would want. I would, I would want to aspire to, and I hope that other brewers would as well. Getting your skill set down to the point where you can replicate the great styles. Um, I, the, one of the things I found myself doing is using sort of a, um, a music analogy when I talk about this. And, uh, and I use the, uh, the jazz musician, and I talk about I can pick up a saxophone and blow in one end of it and move my fingers up and down the outside, and random notes come out of it. And to the untrained ear, that sounds vaguely like jazz. Uh, John Coltrane plays, uh, practice, you know, 10 hours a day scales, playing the notes in the right order, so he knew how to play them in the wrong order in a way that was pleasing. Um, and that's my analogy. You, you master the basics before you riff off of them, um, rather than going straight into the market with a chaotic mess that, um, that hasn't been fine-tuned, that hasn't been uh, masterfully created, that's just been sort of thrown together. And uh, brewers are getting away with that because the public is way more accepting than, uh, than perhaps it, it once was. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, so, uh, um, I'll, I, it's not for me to say, but it's a thing. And as long as people are enjoying beer, why not? 
does that partly or wholly inform the intensive and the intensive brewing science and engineering that focus on fundamentals, that ability to uh, internalize them and understand them so well that when you do try to uh, approach customer tastes that might uh, go against style or exceed style, you have a, a good foundation or, or is there some other, are there other elements and thought processes in a course that is in the distance learning program, six to nine hours of lecture a week, quite a bit of reading, weekly quizzes, exams, you know, it, it is, as it says on the label intensive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Is the answer to that. I mean, I want to, as I think I've, I've, um, I've said in other, in other interviews and times before, I want to provide, um, the basic skills necessary, the inspiration, the, the, um, the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The creativity, uh, to, to make flavors, even within a style parameter, style guidelines, uh, there's still room for creativity within defined styles as, um, otherwise there would be no winners and losers in competitions. Uh, so, um, there is still that, and there's a broad range of different Vienna lagers. There's a broad range of different cultures. Uh, they all share many things in common, but there is a variation within that style. Giving the brewer the, brewer, the uh, tools um, by which they can uh, then go ahead and, uh, and, uh, and express themselves, I think I see as our job. It's, uh, it's um, basic training, and then you riff off of that. Um, it's, um, it's a little more in depth than some, but, uh, but uh, you know, that's never a bad thing to have more skills at your disposal. And uh, the opportunity then with the internship, the apprenticeship that we include in the longer course to then go and take those techniques and marry them together with some practical day in, day out, uh, work a day, uh, brewing um brewing experiences, I think, is, is really invaluable. Um, the students coming out of the class are hireable right away. It doesn't mean to say that they have the necessary skills to run a brewery right away. And it doesn't mean to say that they should go right out there and start um, creating wonderful things. There's still some work to be done. Uh, but um, liking this to the, to the chef that spends hours as a sous chef learning how to fillet, learning how to bake, learning how to um, um, uh, uh, grill, uh, all of those things. And then eventually when given the chance comes up with a masterful dish, um, I think that's a, that's a, a, a translatable analogy across to brewing. When I first started the program as a technical home brewer, I guess I was a little surprised at first that the, uh, the first week focused on sensory analysis. However, given everything that you said and kind of what I learned in the subsequent weeks it made a lot more sense in retrospect, especially when we got into the residential week and we're concluding each day with sensory, that it's not only the the fundamentals of being able to produce the product, you have to understand the palate, as you say, like that that comparison to a chef, I think here is, is highly resonant to that notion. In some way, you, you have to cultivate that, that sense of flavor as well as the technical ability to uh, evoke that flavor. Absolutely. One of the interesting things about that, we, we, we used to, I mean, we've gone back and forth about where that should be in the program. Uh, when it's done in real time in the classroom, it's after, it's after the first weekend. So we've got the raw material stuff out of the way and then we get into the sensory. Um, but I have always felt that getting that into the class as soon as you possibly can and to get, because we're training you away from being homebrewers, first of all, 
um, and I refuse to answer questions on homebrewing topics on the forums for that reason. And we'll call it pilot brewing because now you're practicing for when you're a professional. Um, that's okay. You can still continue to make five gallon batches. But, but when we, um, we, we, so we're training our, our, our students away from thinking like a, for homebrewers, but we're also uh, initiating or instilling in them the idea that, that um, taste everything taste everything learn as much as you can about beer by tasting it and then when we talk about crystal malt and its impact on beer flavor you've already got the idea of what a multi crystal malt tasted based beer tastes like because we've told you to go out there and taste it um, so getting the sensory and out of the way early uh, the more time you can the more um, of the sensory you have the more time you have learning the other topics with sensory training and still and skills still under you know under your belt, um, having experienced it and thinking in terms of flavour, we can then steer the uh, steer the conversation around every single topic around work boiling around mash biochemistry towards how the beer is going to taste at the end. And as and if you keep that in your mind as you're learning this stuff, then um, then I think uh, it's it's much more interesting, but it, and it's less drive a topic. Uh, but you get value out of the classwork immediately, even if it's a more esoteric topics. Uh, when you go out and you taste the beer, you can recognize some of those flavors. So, yeah, the training is critical to get you thinking like a, a person, a professional brewer who's going to use their palate to, um, to, to uh, judge and evaluate beer, not just from in customers' enjoyment and marketing, which is important, but also from a, a technical quality standpoint as well, recognizing off flavors in your product, getting used to using your, your senses as a quality control tool right from the start. It's definitely something that stuck with me and as a brewery and planning, uh, something I'm eager to invest in because it, it can be such a modest investment to do the, um, the flavor tastings to cultivate not only the, uh, the kind of tasting that you do for the discriminative uh, analysis that you do for quality control to your point, but also that, that brand development and to have uh, a good vocabulary amongst yourselves uh, of what it is that you are tasting and talk about it in a way that you're actually able to converge on what it is that you want or recognize something that, that may be attractive or, or uh, a value to your customers and your brand. Absolutely. You can rely on feedback from them as well, but they're untrained. So you're right about that vocabulary. If you're going to uh, notice a flavor note in the beer, um, this beer tastes funny. This beer has a bite. Uh, I really like the bite that this beer has. Uh, what are you talking about? What is bite? Um, and, uh, and so you, you hear the, the, the phrases coming back and, and they'll struggle for words. It has that flavor. I kind of like it, but I can't tell you what it is. Um, well, um, if you've got uh, a done, you've done an evaluation on your own beer, you have those uh, the terminology that you can use. You can you can uh, look at the similar sounding words and perhaps get an idea of what they're talking about. Um, and then, if it's an off note that you want to eliminate, it's some reason why they're not enjoying your beer quite so much because it has a funny flavour. Um, if you're identifying what that is and having the ability then to either eliminate it or control it better is a skill you need as a brewer. So you are absolutely right about the vocabulary. It's the largest, uh, the, the major benefit for any of that training is develop the lexicon, develop the vocabulary of, uh, of descriptive analysis, of descriptive terms so that you can then um, evaluate and analyze the beer. 
and uh, and then troubleshoot. The, the last time I looked in the index of a of a textbook, it didn't say anything about that. That funny taste wasn't one of the categories to look up. Um, you have to know what it is, and uh, then you can figure out how to control it. <clears throat> I think, too, that's a good example of something I realized uh, in in taking the, the course is that it, it isn't prescriptive in the way you think in terms of, you know, there really isn't any, even if you take a particular recipe or, or very narrow style, there isn't any one way to accomplish that. So something like sensory, uh, there are ways that you can think about to do it in a disciplined, repeatable fashion and still admits admits a lot of variance. Like that was one of the points that that came up in that unit, uh, and that I've I've seen discussed in other lectures or presentations since about you know you might borrow an example as a starting point from another brewery that is doing that kind of training, but ultimately you have a lot of latitude to kind of uh, co-create the vocabulary at your own brewery. That it that to your point, like it needs to be more specific than you know that flavor. But it doesn't have to necessarily be exactly the same as uh, something else. Like you have the more of the, the conceptual framework and the tooling to cultivate a program like that, rather than being handed sort of a uh, you know a prepackaged program that you can just stand up and and run. Yeah, there are numerous examples of breweries that have their own vocabulary. Um, there's a flavor in their beer that they have another name for or their own word for that they bandy around when they're talking about it. It helps them in house doesn't help them when they're handing them when it's troubleshooting from outside uh, but it certainly helps them in-house when they and, they and there's no reason why you shouldn't develop your own vocabulary for this providing you recognize the limitations of that that it only works in your brewery and um, and doesn't necessarily show up in any of the textbooks you might want to look up a solution for uh, but uh, yeah absolutely you, you can come up with your own language any for, for anything well, and you have uh, quite a bit of experience outside of what we've already talked to. I, I saw you in the documentary Brewmaster working with uh, the, the Cicerone program with the uh, subject uh, of the two subjects who was uh, pursuing the, the master certification. Uh, and we first met through, uh, it, it was a guild-related lecture, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a, a course offered by the guild per se. It was a boot camp at a, at another conference uh, sponsored by someone else. So you, you definitely have that that additional experience to kind of understand uh, from within a brewery how you might think about it. And then, as you say, like if you have to then talk to a customer or go to a competition, you have a great depth of experience to draw upon there to help students understand how to think about the broader landscape. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, be as um, as open as possible talk to as many people as you as you can about beer about their experiences about the flavors where they come from how they brew what their philosophy is um, and then share that i mean it's a great it's uh, a good time to be a brewer um interesting things are happening all the time and being in the middle of that is um is a wonderful experience but you're right um getting out there and um and uh, exploring every other avenue that there is to spread the message, I think, is uh, is important. People that know and care about this should uh, should all be uh, should all be taking advantage of the opportunities that there are now to do that. Um, it's, nothing's changed since uh, since I first uh, came to the states in 1988 and encountered a beer culture that had little understanding of um, beer with flavour. Um, generally speaking, um, pockets of, uh, of support that we found, uh, but it was prosthetizing to the uninitiated a lot of the time. And, um, and honestly, 
I don't, while the craft beer has grown and everybody knows what craft beer is now, there's some people are still continuing to make wrong assumptions about beer. So the, the idea that everything has to be an IPA, even something that is blueberries and lactose in it is still an IPA. Well, not really, but <laughs> that's okay. Um, as brewers, it's not to say, well, you're wrong. It's to say, well, that's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting um, evolution of a beer style uh, that, we're, that we're talking about now. Let's talk about what that means. And what Now there's a bit of his chance to talk about some history there's now. There's a chance to talk about other beer styles that might taste similar. Um, I had a customer came into the tasting room yesterday, sat down at the counter and just said, what's your best IPA? I said, well, did, did he, does he think all craft beer is IPA? I never give the chance to talk to him to get to the bottom of what, his, what, his, what he meant by that. Um, whether he only drinks IPA and wanted just our best one, walking into our place and assuming we had more than one, um, that we had, in fact, would have had several. Um, those are, those are, that's an interesting uh, uh, thing to explore. And I, I kind of um, wish I'd had more time and wasn't busy doing something else, like brewing, uh, to, to actually get to the bottom of what that was all about. But, uh, yeah, so there's uh, opportunities to educate. Um, there's, there's many of them. And uh, the people that know the Cicerone program you mentioned is fantastic for that. It's creating a whole cadre of educated, tra people trained and educated the right way. Um, it's not, nothing haphazard or, or accidental about that program. It's very well put together. It, um, it creates something. If you pass it, then, you're, then you've, uh, you've achieved something. And, uh, and you can go out there and realistically talk to uh, uh, many, many people and, and and what I think that the American Brewers Guild and the Cicerone program has done is is amplified our, our voice uh, through um, uh, training and education and sending many, many more people out there. When it was me uh, back in 1988 talking to people, just a small group of us at the British Brewing Company, telling people what beer should taste like instead of what it did taste like, um, it was an uphill battle and we were swamped a lot of the time. Now with a thousand um, American Brewers Guild graduates at, out there spreading that same quality of beer message, uh, then the voice is amplified. And the same thing goes for the Cicerone program as well. It's not only those alum, the lecturers in the course materials are like a literal who's who of craft beer. We already mentioned Garrett Oliver, uh, Matt Bernaldson's, too many others to name. How, how did that come about? Were they involved from those early days with Mike Lewis? Uh, did they come on over time? Was that a, a function of the the networking that you mentioned at the outset? Where they came, well, they're friends of mine. Um, we've been in the industry together for a long time. Um, I know these people. Um, we've judged together at the Great American Beer Festival. I've been doing that since uh, 1993. Uh, so um, I've spent many years sitting at judging tables with these fellas and women and have... Uh, experienced um, uh, visiting them in their breweries and and when it came down time to uh, asking them if they would give up some of their time to create a, an original lecture for us they they all pretty much said yes we're happy to do it so yeah it is a who's who but it's based on years of friendship um, and uh, and uh, being that my position in the industry along with theirs we're, we're, we're part of a peer group of people who have been around a very long time I was honored by uh, 
Charlie Papazian uh, choosing to interview me for a oral history or video history of the craft brewing in, in North America a few couple of years back. Sat down with him and, uh, and talked about my past and what it meant to be a brewer. And, and then if you look at the, um, the uh, sort of Lifetime Achievement Hall of Fame um, awards that are kind of out there, the Russell Scherer Award, um, is uh, all those, nearly all those instructors that we mentioned are in it as well, have been awarded it as well, as have I. And, uh, and so we feel like uh, a, a group of people that have been influenced, have had influence over, over craft brewing for the last uh, 30 years. And, uh, and uh, we, we all know each other. We like each other and hang out together. <laughs> I want to be clear for the listener, too, that moment as a, a former home brewer, uh, somebody who was familiar with many of these names and personalities, um, from their, their writing and appearances elsewhere, the quality of the material, the thoughtfulness and intent that they brought to their lectures, like that quickly drops away and their passion is really what comes forward in the lectures. So it's not only the, all of the great things that you said about like the standing that they have in the industry, the connections that you have with them, they truly are very passionate about the subjects that they're talking about in this course. And it's a huge benefit to a student, I think. Yes. Um, I think one of the things that sets the American Brewers Guild apart, perhaps from some of the other schools, uh, UC Davis, um, Charlie Banforth and Michael Lewis are phenomenal, phenomenal speakers, uh, phenomenal beer experts, ton of knowledge about beer and brewing, um, uh, but not craft brewers per se. They've not put their boots on and gone to work and making, making beer in the same way that, that, the instructors from our school have. Uh, similarly, the old school at Seaball was retired Anheuser-Busch brewers and, uh, and Miller brewers for, to a certain extent, big brewery people that, have, uh, that are bringing a big brewery um, ethic to uh, the way they teach. Incredibly valuable. whole lot of stuff you can learn from them. Um, but the American Brewers Guild instructors, are, at the time they did those lectures, were all working as professional brewers. They all put their boots on and went to work and made beer every day. Um, and that, I think, sets them apart. That's what, they, that's what comes through. They, 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 they make beer and know how to do it and, um, and, uh, and care enough to share that with other people. And I think that's, that's, uh, that's something that, uh, that um, is unique to the American Brewers Guild. And, um, and a thing that I, a difference that I truly value. You mentioned the 1,000 alum that are out there uh, hopefully paying for their education to advance the state of craft beer, uh, to do that work of education. The program doesn't end with graduation. The, you m made, uh, I think, a very compelling case and a, and a welcome point at the graduation that in many ways this was just the start of how the Guild works with students that have come through and go on to work in the industry. Yeah, no, it's um, offering support doesn't just end at graduation. It is important that uh, that uh, we do continue to support in the industry. Um, we support the qualification uh, by attending uh, conferences and trade shows and judging and uh, and being you know doing things like this and and being seen in public. Um, and that uh, helps with that. And our advertising is mostly geared towards um, supporting the qualification these days as well. Um, but um, 
but yeah, it's. Um, I think that uh, keeping keeping our 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 alumni happy and continuing to help them with uh, potential jobs, uh, continuing to answer technical questions, um, and uh, and uh, the availability of consultancy once um, brewers are ready to start their own brewery. I think that's a an, an equally important part of what we do. I think to the the recognition that comes from um, being part of the program. When I have come across at this point now a handful of other graduates from years before mine, uh, that you kind of know something about how they think about uh, their craft, how they think about the the job that they do. It gives you sort of a, a nice common frame too. That uh, when you're doing the the work that you need to do uh, to build your own network. To have that as an advantage as well, to say, oh, you know, we were both in Middlebury, we were both, you know, <laughs> working that same deck and had that same experience and talking about, you know, uh, you know, I talked about with uh, uh, Martin Tony Prebula here at Saints Row, who was, uh, I think, 2013 grad. Um, and we were comparing notes even on the day of, you know, what recipe he was making during his residential versus the one I was during mine. And that <laughs> seems like a simple thing. And, and yet it's so powerful at the same time because of the way that that can foster connections and relationships and encourage different kinds of conversation and support peer to peer as well. Without a doubt. We do the, um, the alumni reunion at the trade show every year and, um, and, and honored and honored and, uh, and, uh, really kind of humbled by the number of people that come by and uh, enjoy a beer with us and tell us their stories. Um, but also the networks that they continue to, to, to operate on their own. Um, we had a, a, there was a picture up on Facebook, I guess, of, um, of, uh, of a class that were, that actually graduated in Sacramento and it was at Sierra Nevada and, and uh, I recognized a dozen professional brewers, successful professional brewers that are making names for themselves in the industry in that picture. And it was, uh, and, but that doesn't mean to say that, that there were others in there that, aren't, that are still toiling away as, uh, as brewers around the country. And it's great to, um, the, the, to see all the comments and the, those, that was a great day. Um, I've really benefited from that. Thanks to uh, the American Brewers Guild for the education that you've given us and the opportunities and the support. And um, yeah, it's just tremendously gratifying to, uh, to see the networks begin to develop on their own, uh, aside from our, our uh, connection and or outside of what, you know, what we offer as well. That's terrific. Is there anything else at this point I haven't asked you that you would like people to know about uh, your work um, with the Guild or beyond that? Not really. I really enjoyed you've asked some, you give me a great opportunity to um, expound on, on my story and my philosophy. And I, I think that, uh, that uh, it's important to have one. I think after brewing for 35 years or so, I've, I've developed my own ideas about things now. Uh, rather than parroting the uh, the ideas and thoughts of people who have gone before me, but at the same time, it's important to remember that you, you're not you're not the first person to think of this. Uh, um, that uh, somewhere in history, this has been tried before, um, and um, and uh, it may or may not have worked for whatever reason. Doesn't mean to say you shouldn't try it again. Uh, but also to keep an open mind. Well, I remember back when I was. Uh, um, 17 years old, sort of uh, 1977, high school in Scotland, and um, and uh, you know, in the high school common room, we'd listen to 
Pink Floyd and Genesis and Rush and Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple and all the old, all the old dinosaur um, uh, classic rock acts that knew how to play their instruments but didn't really have anything much to say. Um, and then along comes punk and all of a sudden the kids don't know what the hell they're doing but they've got a message and it's an energy and it's a passion and it's a wanting to change things and shake things up and, uh, and what, a, what a punk does. And, uh, and just fell in love with that and just became the embodiment of, uh, of, I just loved it and rejected all the old farts who knew how to play their instruments and, and uh, in favor of the passion. And um, okay, so fast forward to now, and uh, I'm the old fart that knows how to operate the brewing system <laughs> quite well, in fact, uh, with some old fuddy-duddy ideas about what order the notes should be played in. And uh, the kids are coming along with their kick open the doors. Here we come. Get out of the way, old man. It's my, my turn now. And I have a lot of sympathy for that. I really do. <laughs> I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't. So I'm rolling with the punches. I'm going to be the... I'm going to be the uh, the legendary blues guitarist from the 60s that everybody rejected, but it's going to help the punks learn how to play their guitars properly if that's what they want. And uh, and yeah, that's that's where I'm at now in my life, enjoying every bit of it. <laughs> what a wonderful way of putting that. Where where can people go to learn more about the Guild and its programs? Our website, um, www.abgbrew.com, um, ABG Brew. Um, it's got all the information on our classes there, and it's got um, uh, some new stuff as well. Um, there's a couple of little technical things up there which we're going to expound upon and give away some more education for free. Uh, but that's the first place to start. Uh, that operates as a way to apply for the school as well, and so you can do everything you need to do in one spot. Is there anything exciting or interesting coming up for you that uh, you'd like to share with the listeners? Um, I'm going to be out in uh, Vancouver, um, Washington at the NanoCon um, a Nano Brewery Conference, which I think is, again, an important opportunity for somebody with my experience and uh, philosophy uh, to help shape some of what's going to happen in the future and try to do my best to uh, introduce these, uh, the, the newcomers to the industry about what it means to be a brewer and what the history and, and traditions are. And, uh, and, and I, I, do, I do like that opportunity to get in front of people and talk like that, but also offering some serious practical advice as well. So that's coming up. Um, and then another Brew Your Own um, boot camp happening in April in Denver next year, or March, sorry, in Denver next year, which I again intend to be at uh, giving my talk on how to open a brewery. Uh, expanded to three days instead of just the two, because um, there's a lot, turns out there's a lot more to talk about um, and um, a lot more to cover. So uh, those are the exciting things on the horizon there. Um, Drop-in brewing is uh, continuing to uh, uh, sell beer, can beer, make beer, and uh, satisfy the, uh, the, uh, the creative urges that I might have. So I'm, I'm pretty, pretty happy about that too. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today, Steve. My pleasure. I've enjoyed it. Thanks. Great talking to you. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions, please send them to feedback at peculiarcharacter.com. If you enjoyed the episode, please help spread the word. Tell a friend about it. Please consider supporting the show financially by visiting patreon.com 
That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Peculiar Character and become a backer. Patrons enjoy special behind-the-scenes access and bonus content. The support of my patrons is greatly appreciated. Until next time, chase what calls you. I would like to thank the Internet Archive for media hosting and bandwidth. The views expressed on this program are my own and where applicable those of my guests and in no way reflect those of my employer or anyone else. This show is produced from 100% recycled bits. Except where noted, permission to recycle those further is granted under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 United States License. That means you're free to change this show as much as you like as long as you don't alter credits and you share your changes under the same license. Theme music is Slow Burn by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.